If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to just say we're thrilled you're here. As we say every week, we pray that you're fed well and you're welcomed well. And uh, we pray that today would be no different. Um, If you're joining us through internet or radio, we're glad you're tuning in to hear God's word proclaimed. But would you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We continue on our journey through the book of Philippians. I'm going to try to just spend a little bit of time in review because we kind of dropped off uh, last week in verse 14, and it's kind of a section to study together. So we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. But every week I want to remind us, especially through chapter 1, of the question that we've been constantly asking ourselves. Here's the question. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed every area of my life? So our prayer is that through this book, we see this question answered. It's almost like Paul is compelling us to answer this question. Every single section of this book, we find We're kind of being pulled out to answer that question. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed every area of our lives? What are we talking about? Our perspectives, our interests, our priorities, our problems, our actions, (coughs) our reactions. Everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, everywhere we go, everyone we talk to. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed all of that in our lives? Our existence being consumed with the fact that we are, when we talk of the gospel, here it is. Our existence is consumed with the fact that we are simply sinners who are saved by God's amazing grace and are now now growing by God's amazing grace. Every decision we make Every action, every reaction through our entire weeks is run through that lens, that grid, that we are simply sinners amazed amazed at God's grace because he saved us by his grace. So far as we've gone through this book, we've seen a couple different topics. Gospel-centered relationships in verses 1 and 2. So has the gospel of Jesus Christ changed the way you see relationships? And then we worked into verses 3 to 8, the next section. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed your perspective and your obedience in gratitude? How thankful are you? A gospel-centered person overflows with gratitude, just like we saw in the next section of verses, verses 9 through 11 abounding love. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus came to save our souls, transforms our love. It's a choice, as we've talked about. I'm not going to go back and reteach that lesson 9 through 11, but the fact of the matter is the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the grace, empowers us through the Holy Spirit to react out of love, not just to check off that I showed you a little bit love today, maybe next week I'll give you another chunk of love or something like that or an expression. Love abounds in our lives. It overflows. Then we continued on last week. Last week we carried on into this that will carry on into this week is gospel-centered life. What does a gospel-centered life look like? We're going to carry this all the way through the end of chapter 1. 
What does it look like? Well, specifically seen in verses 12 through 14 is the, is the idea of proclamation. Proclaiming Christ. A gospel-centered life unashamedly talks about Jesus. In other words, if Jesus Christ has changed your life, you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but your friends, your family, your relatives, your neighbors, you can't help but tell them about it. Last week we prayed through, uh, for our, our students. We had them gather up front to pray for them, to be able to unashamedly talk of Jesus in their schools. If Jesus Christ has radically changed our lives, we're going to want to talk about it. Well, we see this come alive with the Apostle Paul's life in verses 12 through 18. And we looked at this, uh, we, we highlighted this week, sorry, this last week, Philippians 1, 12 through 14, we should faithfully proclaim the gospel even through adverse situations or oppositions. That's what we looked at last week, trials, suffering. What does Paul say? If you turn your hand out over, you can see it on the back. Or if you look on your device or your phone, you can see on the back, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, Paul says, that what has happened to me, all these scars in the ministry, this imprisonment, shipwreck, beaten, all of this stuff that's happened to me, it served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the praetorian, all of them know, and all the rest, that my imprisonment, it's for Christ's sake. It is for Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What is this from the Apostle Paul? This is a life testimony that is gospel-centered. This is a life that is centered on the gospel to the point where Paul can say, all of these tribulations in in my life have been redirected to proclaim Jesus. When trials come, when suffering comes, I'm going to channel them now to have an opportunity to proclaim Jesus. In chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul prays his desire, I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, that I may be able to identify with the sufferings he's, going, he's gone through, Jesus Christ. And as we go through this suffering, we're constantly redirecting people to how good God is, how gracious Jesus is. So last week we looked at how this, in verse 13, impacts unbelievers. When we transform, when we see our trials transformed into opportunities to proclaim Jesus, It impacts unbelievers, but it also encourages believers. People gain confidence when they see, when they saw Paul's life taking trials and turning them into opportunities. So in brief, in summary, and we'll move on, here it is. We acknowledge three basic reasons for trials in your life. Why do trials happen in your life? Why does suffering happen in your life? Well, clearly in Romans 5, Paul says it. In James 1, James says it. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says it. That these are put into your life that you would grow in faith. There's also evidence in Hebrews chapter 12 that these are put in your life to correct you. As a loving father disciplines his child. So we often focus on those two things. Trials in our lives to grow our faith or to correct us. 
But there's actually a third reason in this passage, as we talked about last week, that trials come our lot into our lives for another reason, and that is to give us an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. And that's what Paul has done in this passage. Now we move into verses 15 to 18. Are you ready? I want to move into verses 15 to 18 with this picture. Yeah, we just went from the seriousness of the passage to this, this ridiculous dude up here. Um, this is a stock photo, so uh, sorry if this is someone's relative. <laughs> uh, what ha- okay, what's the word that comes to your mind when you see this dude? I mean, probably a lot of different words come into your mind when you see a picture, right? A picture's worth a thousand words. I mean, I'm going to match that with this picture. Oh, it's a lady. What comes to mind when you see that? All right, let's put them together. Well, maybe. There it is. Okay, so we got these two pictures. Does anybody in this room get the word smug? <laughs> anybody have that come to your mind? Okay, so I'm not off in left field right here. When I look at this, I think, oh, my soul, smug. What is technically, what does it mean to be smug? I mean, think about this. I mean, we don't want to be judgmental. So we're going to need to clearly guide our thoughts through this idea of not being judgmental this morning. But when you think of smug, you think technically of being self-satisfying, self-righteous, self-promoting. There's a lot of self involved in the term smug with a sense of, superiority. Do you understand what I mean? A bit of smug. Okay, here's the question. Does smug bother you? <laughs> Maybe a little bit, not to be judgmental, but does it bother you a little bit when you interact with people and the, the whole realm of your existence with them is about how awesome they are and how messed up you are? I mean, we can be real here, right? This is a real temptation of our lives. And I want to say this. This doesn't just live in the realm of unredeemed people. Smug sometimes abounds in the body of Christ. Does it bother you when you hear someone proclaiming the love of Jesus? But you know, as soon as they go into the next room... They're going to stab someone in the back verbally. Does that bother you? Does it bother you when you see Christian ministries grow in numbers and maybe through past experiences with the leadership? You know that the primary motivation behind that growth is the coveted honor and prestige and wealth of being somebody. Basically building an empire, a kingdom for themselves. Does it bother you when past ministry partners, maybe, I'm hoping we're not entering the judgmental stage right now, so please refuse as best as you can. Please walk in the Spirit. Does it bother you when past ministry partners can't help? I mean, you think back in your life, last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, past ministry partners can't help themselves from criticizing you personally. And you know that their personal intentions are flawed in a massive way? 
Does that bother you? Does it bother you when you go through, as we talked last week, when you go through a personal struggle, a trial, a a season of, of serious affliction in your life, and rather than becoming a support to you, those Christians who should be closest to you in your time of need, they kind of smugly and confidently start judging you and criticizing you. Doesn't that bother you just a bit? Well, I would say this. Again, just like we talked about last week, if this is you in any way, if you can identify in any way, then you're in good company with Paul in this passage. (laughs) Because Paul is dealing with these confident, smug Christians. I mean, what does the text say? Would you go with me to, we'll just look at verse 14. I have 15 up there. It's on the back of your handout again. Leading into verse 15, he says this, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's talking about the people that are believers that are proclaiming Jesus. And what does he say? Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter the ones of goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And then verse 17, the former, and I can can just imagine in my mind, Paul dictating this, seeing this written, and his head shaking. He's like, oh. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me and my imprisonment. Verse 18 is where we want to dwell a lot, put a lot of stock into verse 18 today. We want to wrap ourselves around this verse, and rather wrap this verse around ourselves. What then? Okay, at the end of our sermons, a lot of times we'll say, so what? That's what Paul's saying here. So what? So what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. And here it is. Christ is proclaimed. And in that, we find one of the themes of the book of Philippians. And then that, I will rejoice. Now he doesn't stop there, does he? It's almost like he's talking himself into it by the grace of the Holy Spirit. In that, I will rejoice. Yep, I will rejoice. <laughs> I'm talking myself into it by God's grace through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because sometimes some of the hardest people to love are those Christians that have that aura of self-confidence. And you know, when they look at you, they are consumed with the fact that they are better than you. But they can still turn around and say, yep, but Jesus loves you, brother. (laughs) Okay, so that's what Paul is dealing with here. Paul, in prison, we remind ourselves of the story. He's in prison. He is under house arrest, according to Acts 28. He is tied to the Praetorian. These elite uh, military men in the Roman guard, he's tied to them. He's not going anywhere. He can't do anything about this. And what's happening? There are smug, self-confident Christians that are rotating around the churches that he saw planted, and they are undermining Paul and saying, that guy, yeah, you know that guy who preached about God's faith? He doesn't have enough faith. He's stuck in jail. 
Well, let me tell you about a really cool guy. His name's Peter. He prayed, and the angel came and set him free. Oh, okay, Paul to the church of Philippi. Hey, church, remember Paul and Silas, they sang and the earthquake came, and Paul and Silas walked out. Remember that story? Somehow Paul lost the faith. He's stuck to the praetorian now, and he can't go anywhere, and he's about to die. That guy has no backing to his ministry. I was listening to a sermon from John MacArthur. Uh, a man who's been in ministry for 50 years now at Grace Community Church. And he was saying there's, there's two things that he struggles with the most in his ministry. One of them is when there's believers who know to do the right thing, but they don't do the right thing. It just overwhelms his heart when he preaches the word and he knows Christians are supposed to do the right thing. And they know what's right, but they don't do the right thing. He said his heart's overwhelmed with grief on that. He said one of the other struggles he's had through all these years of ministry is when people who unashamedly proclaim Jesus start attacking him and others in ministry. They get their guns out and start shooting at other believers and others in ministry. That's what he struggled with the most in his ministry. I think of a man who's been in ministry all these years, 50 years, John MacArthur, and still struggles with people that attack him. I'm going to say, that's Paul here. And that's why we want to wrap our minds around verse 18. What is the resolve of the Apostle Paul? Here's the resolve at the bottom of the screen here. So what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Here's the point for the day. A gospel-centered life selflessly rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. What is this clear resolve? We'll kind of highlight a couple words, words here. The words rejoice, and I will rejoice. Again, one of the themes of the book of Philippians is this word rejoice. I will be happy. I will express joy, not based on outward circumstances, my feelings. I'm going to tell you, do we often feel like rejoicing? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't get up in the morning and feel like joy, joy, joy. That song that Mike does so well, Mike Glasper and Alessa, I love that song. I'm going to say, the natural inclination when I get up and out of bed in the mornings is not joy, joy, joy. Put it all over my face. It's whose head do I want to bite off right now? Because I had to get out of bed, right? Go kick the dog. That's kind of the natural inclination of our hearts. And when we get up in the morning, we realize that the, the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in us is guiding us to show this joy. This is an expression that only can come. This true joy can only come through, to those whose heart has been changed by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I rejoice. Why does he rejoice? Highlighted in red there is because Christ is proclaimed. He's announced. He's made public. I'm, I'm rejoicing that Christ has been put up. Christ has been high and lifted up. Okay, what led to this resolve? Well, we see it in these two words. In pretense or in truth. So right away in these four verses, we see this contrast set up. Right here, in pretense or in truth. And we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about this. Because clearly Paul is saying Christ is proclaimed. 
But there's different motivations behind it. So what we're going to see is this is not about the content. This is about the motivations. And the motivation here is in pretense. That word pretense is basically like it's a show. It's a public show. Truth is ingenuine. It is the real deal. It's authentic. And what Paul is saying is, I'm going to rejoice. Christ is going to be pretend. Uh, Christ is going to be proclaimed. By some, they're going to proclaim Christ to be a show. Others are going to proclaim Christ out of a genuineness of love. You know, in my mind, I think that first word there, in, in pretense. How is that possible? <laughs> you think that? You're like, how can someone, and I know the temptation in my heart, in any of our hearts, to easily slide into this every day, But how can someone proclaim the love of Christ without living the love of Christ? How is that possible? Well, my mind goes, as many of your minds might be going right now, to 1 Corinthians 13. Paul to the church of Corinth, who also struggled with genuine love to each other. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, you could probably quote it with me. He says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... Man, I have some special angelic way of saying something. It's beautiful the way I say it. But have not love? I'm I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's like me me getting in that set and trying to do anything with rhythm. You'd be plugging your ears. He says, and if I have, verse 2, prophetic powers, and I can understand clearly all mysteries and all prophecies or or all knowledge. And I have all faith so I could even see mountains removed. But have not love? I am nothing. Paul says this, that it's possible to love, to show expressions of love that don't come from a heart of love. He says this in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I give away all that I have to feed the poor, And to me, I'm like, whoa, how could that ever happen? Can you imagine yourself giving away every last thing you have to feed the poor people in the community of Reading? Do you realize it says if I give away all that I have, and then even a step further, if I give my body to be burned, I mean, in my mind, I think the stake, but I think we can just walk outside at 115 degree weather and get the same effect. <laughs> if I give my body to be burned for the cause of, of, of Christ, but still not have love, I am nothing. So the question is this, is it possible to proclaim Christ but not be motivated by the love of Christ? The answer emphatically from this passage is yes. It is possible to carry in your life, the title Christian. To unashamedly talk that you're a Christian, but not to live at times like Christ lived. Not to be motivated with the love of Christ. It is possible to have messed up motivations. And that is what Paul is talking about here. I want to clarify something from the onset, though. Please understand, we can be crystal clear on this, that what Paul is talking about here isn't talking about content of the gospel. 
okay? Please understand with me that what's happening here is not people that are messing with the content of the gospel. What do I mean? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These people that Paul's talking about, these smug ones, they're not touching that. If we want to see how Paul responded to that, we can run to the book of Galatians. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1 about someone that tampers with the content of the gospel. He says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's how important the content of the gospel is. He says this in verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Twice he says it in two verses. We don't touch the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is not something that we can make look the way we want it to. Please understand that. The gospel is not something we can tamper with the divine person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't touch that. That Jesus Christ was 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time in order that he could 100% redeem. We can't touch that. We cannot touch the fact that salvation is by grace alone expressed in a lifestyle of repentance. That's clearly what you find in the scriptures. We cannot touch the fact that it is accessed through true faith. But when these things are being taught, even from people who have stupidly flawed motives, what should our response be? Jesus is being proclaimed, even from those people who look at you the way those pictures were, like, I'm all that in a bag of chips, and you're not. What is our response? And I want to remind all of us today that as hard as it is, and and honestly, I can think that verse 18 of chapter 1 in Philippians is very possibly one of the hardest verses the Apostle Paul ever wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I'm going to rejoice. Even those people that look at me and want to malign me, even those people that are trying to drag my name through the mud while they're slinging mud, I'm going to rejoice because it's not all about me. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Paul selflessly rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed, and I want us to just dig in a a little deeper here, even by those whose motivations are flawed. Let's, Let's look a little deeper at these flawed motivations, because there's six descriptors here. Paul clearly gives us six descriptions in these verses of people whose motivations are flawed. So we can see clearly what's happening, starting with this one. Some indeed preach, and I highlighted it there in the upper right, it's of envy. They proclaim Christ of envy. What is this? Well, flat out, it's jealousy. I want some of that. That recognition that the Apostle Paul has, that rapport that the Apostle Paul has, I want that. I mean, I think that's very clear in how modern day ministry happens sometimes. We see different people with impact. I want that. And so what ends up happening? Rather than rejoicing as the gospel is being proclaimed, we start pulling out our bazooka and start shooting at them. Paul says, even those who are motivated by envy, 
even those who are motivated by rivalry, that's contention or strife. I am postured to fight. These are people that are saying, Jesus loves you. <laughs> you know it. They're about to punch you in the head. <laughs> it's a match. And he says, even those who are preaching the love of Christ with their fists up in the air. He continues, verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. This is an outburst of selfish emotion or selfish promotion. In other words, I need to be advanced. I'm all that in a bag of chips. Self-seeking, self-centered, self-interest. And Paul is saying, even those ones who I'm convinced of. And I'm going to say, Paul had a pretty good barometer of what was happening in the Christian community in the known world. And he said, even those who are motivated from selfish ambition, he says another one, not sincerely. <laughs> These are people that are not genuine. You ever talk to someone? And again, walk in the Spirit. Don't be pulled into this concept of judgmentalism because that's not who we are in Christ. You're talking to somebody and you're like, oh my soul, that's not genuine. <laughs> you ever been there? Thinking to afflict. This is their mind that's set. And there's, there's so much more that we could say about all these, but I need to move quickly through. The, thinking to afflict. I mean, they're expecting and almost convincing themselves to put you through distress. Everything I do, I want to put that person through distress. Actually, the concept is aggravating by rubbing. What are they doing? We know this bothers Paul. We're going to rub it in. And what's Paul's response, brothers and sisters in Jesus? The same response that through the Holy Spirit we must have. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in public show or in confidence, Christ is preached. So let's kind of summarize this. What, what is this talking about? Simply when we proclaim Jesus, we are proclaiming the selfless Christ. But there's going to be some that proclaim the selfless Christ who are consumed with themselves. This is just a testament to the fact that God is growing all of us. Some of us, all of us struggle with different blind spots in our life. All of us struggle with these areas in our lives. And Paul is recognizing this in a very humble way. For whatever undisclosed reason, we don't know exactly what they were saying and how they were saying it, but we know they were saying it. Whatever reason... These people were set on discrediting Paul, just like I believe in ministry there's some to set out to discredit others in ministry. That's their goal in life, to discredit this person. I mean, the question is this. How consumed are we at times of taking the place of God and being motivation police? You know what I mean? In that very same chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about one of the distinctions of love is that we don't think evil. So easy, it's, it comes the temptation to be drawn into being the motivation police. I think you understand what I'm saying. No, I can't believe he looked at me that way at church. He was so angry in his look this week. That pastor didn't talk to me for two weeks in a row. Oh, and there's so much more I can say about these. It's great. 
She said this about me. I can't believe it. I know she said this about me. I know she did. No, the tone of that text, there's so much missed. We've, we've talked about this a lot as elders. There's so much missed in texts and emails, right? It's the whole tone thing. So when you read a text or an email sometimes, you read perspective into it. Oh, I know they were so angry at me with that text. You know what I'm talking about? He didn't push my like button on Facebook last week. He must really not like me. Rather, we can rejoice together that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We don't have to take on the role of God and police all the motivations in the world. This is in God's ballpark. He's big enough to handle motivations, and I love that. That doesn't mean we never talk of this, because clearly in the next chapter, chapter 2, what does Paul say? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. He clearly addresses it. But what the thought is in these verses is that I'm not going to take on my shoulder to try to motivate or, or, or judge everyone's motivations. Everyone that's involved in ministry, I've got to judge. So clearly, Paul is saying this. I am rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed even those by those whose motivations are flawed. But I love this because the Apostle Paul, the man overflowing with love and gratitude, gratitude, can't help himself from pointing out that this is not everyone. How does he say that? Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The ones that do it out of goodwill are doing it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. What are the four descriptors of the people that are preaching it genuinely? Well, just let's highlight them. From goodwill. These are people that are preaching the name of Jesus and they're doing it from a kind disposition. They're doing it favorably. Not in your face, but kindly. There's so much to be said about this, but let's move on to the next one. It is out of love. It is motivated by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It is the affection of genuine regard for souls. There's some who preach Christ, Paul says, from goodwill. <laughs> They're motivated by love. Then, knowing that, particularly in Paul's scenario here, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. In other words, what is, what is this saying? What's another way of, of kind of working through that? Understanding re, that God did this. God put me here. Paul says there's some that preach that know that God put me here. Okay, in our minds, remember, who is strapped to the Apostle Paul while he's writing this? The Praetorian Guard, right? And the concept behind this idea of, of that I am put here is I've been placed here like a soldier placed in a precise spot on the battlefield or in life. And Paul's saying, just like this guy is is placed here, God has placed me here on this earth at this time to proclaim him. And Paul says there's some that recognize that. In other words, there's some that realize that there's a big enough God that he can handle these things. He's placed each of us on the field he wants us. He said the last descriptor that I want to highlight is the last one he says in truth. This is what is real, what is genuine, what is, what is upright. 
Okay, so what's the point? We need to wrap this up. By the way, we got started a little later today because I'm looking at that clock, it's 11.30, and I'm like, whoa, sorry. Let's, let's wrap this up. What's the simple point? We must not just dwell on the negative, but wholeheartedly praise God that there are those who are proclaiming the selfless gospel that are also living the selfless gospel. I mean, we go to the key idea, it would be something like this. We should selflessly rejoice. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let nothing steal your joy. Not even the trials in your life we see in the preceding verses. But not just the trials in your life, but the people in your life. There's some joy stealers that you might be interacting with right now. Paul says we should selflessly rejoice that God is in control. Honestly, as you look at this text, this is a text compelling us to trust God, that God is so much bigger, God can handle this. Those people that have messed up motivations, guess who's in charge of that? Guess who can set that right? Not me. God can. (laughs) That God is in control and that the gospel message is being proclaimed. We should selflessly rejoice. Praise God. And then the last part of this key idea would be something like this. In spite of the flawed motivations of other believers and even the flawed motivations that come into my life, I think we see this passage as a huge huge example of what the Apostle Paul went through. And I want to kind of close with some so what's, but before I even do that, I want to say I praise God for a group of men at Cross Point Community Church. We're not perfect in any way. Far, far from it. But I praise God for a Mike Woods and a Chuck Mellon. I praise God for a Jim Wesley. I praise God for Mike Glasburn and Tom Sechow. I praise God for the resolve to the gospel. Coming in here about five months ago, yeah, I could, I could watch and see things set up. I praise God that I have the privilege of participating with these men who are consumed with the gospel. I know just by being in this community that there's words that have been said this last year or two that have not been kind to these men. And to be quite frank, not honest. We talk about this at times in our elder meetings. What do we do? I want to praise God that there's a group of elders that, that know it's right, have tried to fix, what, fix it to be right. But at the same time, they're like, hey, that's in God's ballpark. We're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice together that the gospel is proclaimed. We're going to hold as tight as we can to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be the motivation police that have to set everyone straight in the city of Reading. Oh, your motivations are messed up. Kind of like that whack-a-mole game. It's just kind of pounding people over the head. Get your motivations right. No. We can rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed. We're going to hold as tight as we can to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glorious word of God with all we have. So what? Close this out. Do we rejoice that God is big enough to handle his people? He can do it. God can do it. Another question is this. Are our motivations pure in proclaiming the gospel? So automatically when we see those pictures of smug, we're like, oh, maybe the person sitting across the room from me. <laughs> what about our lives? That self-confidence that comes our way, where we're tempted to judge people, do some of that mudslinging ourselves? The question from this passage is, has the gospel changed our lives enough where we don't have to sling that mud?
we can love. Even if someone else has a, a messed up motivation, we can love and we need to, by God's grace, make sure our motivations are right. Last question. Will we faithfully proclaim Christ this week? This really is the theme of this text, 12 to 18, is Christ is proclaimed and I will rejoice. This week will you proclaim Jesus Christ? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. God, that's the prayer of our hearts this morning. In Cross Point Community Church, our prayer is that we rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Let us not be drawn into the messy temptation of being motivation police. Trying to fix everyone's motivations. We acknowledge these, God, and we don't want to be driven by selfish ambition and conceit. But God, I pray that we have so much confidence in you as a big God. You can handle these things. So much to the point where we can rejoice that Christ is proclaimed, even by those who have flawed motivations. That's our prayer, God.